welcome to this very special episode of Neither the Time Nor the Space. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the impish Matt. Hello there. So, um, we are discussing classic Doctor Who. Yeah. For the first time ever. I actually managed to make you watch three whole 25-minute episodes yes. of yeah. early Doctor Who, and we're going all the, the way back. The earliest Doctor Who. Yes, we're we, we covering two... Uh, if, for those of you familiar with classic Doctor Who, a common mistake, I think, is that people start with An Unearthly Child Episode 1 and then proceed on to the subsequent three episodes of caveman-based tedium. I think it's often called 10,000 BC, for those who'd like to treat it as a separate story. Anyway, it's dreadful, so I didn't do that to you. I made you watch The uh, the Rescue instead yes. from Season 2. Yeah. So basically, we've got those three episodes to discuss. The very first episode of Doctor Who, An Unearthly Child, Part 1. From and then, November 23rd, 1963. Indeed, yes. So, day after the Kennedy assassination. And that damaged ratings sufficiently that uh, the producers I, actually managed to... Uh, I don't think it was the only thing that damaged ratings. <laughs> oh, we'll come to that. Shots fired early. <laughs> yeah. From that Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so genuinely, they, they actually managed to persuade the BBC to um, repeat the first episode before broadcast of the second the following week. And that actually did give them a big boost. And uh, without that, who knows? Maybe we wouldn't be sat here talking about Doctor Who today. Yeah, so uh, should we just... I mean, I'm always nervous to find out what you think of these episodes. But this this is such a special... This pilot, first episode of Doctor Who, is so special to so many fans, including myself. Yeah. I have never been more nervous. I wanted to introduce a new rating system for classic Who. Right. In the past, when we've watched episodes, we say good episode, bad episode, good with bad bits, bad with good bits. Yeah. What I thought we could do is, on three, is just one word, what you think of this episode. Okay. Three, two, one. Amateurish. Oh, my God. Really? I mean, Could could we have picked more polar opposites? (laughs) Well, you know what? I won't necessarily fight you on amateurish, because... This is early days. They are figuring it out. I think uh, Warris Hussein, the director, maybe deserves more credit than you're giving him at this stage. But without wanting to bore you too much with behind-the-scenes stuff, TV was made very differently back then. Mm. This this was basically shot as though it was live. It's like a play, almost, with enormous cameras having to be hefted around in real time uh, with almost no editing. I would say, on on this day that I, I, I watched this, one yeah. of the reasons I watched them all in one day is I wasn't feeling very well. I didn't want to leave the house. I this is already a bad recipe. I thought, today's the day. I'll <laughs> sit down and watch this. And honestly, my headache was worse after <laughs> this episode than before we started. I can imagine that. Maybe not ideal now, circumstances. Part, part of it, I, I can concede part of it is... Mm. My limited understanding of Doctor Who, this goes against quite a lot of my developing understanding. Yeah, yeah, so that'll be interesting to dig into, I think. So, I, I guess we've kind of set out our store here. I'm obviously very much in the position of, of a fan of, just a fan of Doctor Who in general, and, and I, I, I can contextualise this within the history of the show, and as a result, I may be 
praise it to an extent it doesn't necessarily warrant just as a piece of entertainment. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be overly critical just because it's old-fashioned, yeah, black and yeah, white, yeah, so I tried yeah. to look past that. Yeah. But it did not sit well with me at all. <laughs> That's fair enough. So, shall we dig into the details? Okay. Then? So, first thing I want to raise. The yeah. old theme tune's better than the new theme tune. Why did they ever change it? I am so happy to hear you say that. I mean, I I agree, and frankly, I could I could quite happily just sit here and talk about the Didi Derbyshire arrangement of the Doctor Who theme yeah. tune for an hour straight. I think the strumming bass yeah. that brings it in yeah. is so much better than and the modern one. The the insane technical prowess that went into making that theme tune because that is purely electronic in a time before synthesizers. Mm. She she was literally manipulating pieces of magnetic tape to, right. to, to 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 make that arrangement, and it's it's extraordinary. And and I love that in the opening they actually play basically the full theme tune. It yes. kind of bleeds into the start of the episode. You've got that elegant. You may not agree with the word elegant, but that slow pan through the street, past the old junkyard, with following the policeman. And you hear the full version of the theme tune with that heroic middle eight section that always mm. gets cut out in the modern uh, thing. Oh, God, I love so that theme tune. Y- you've alluded to how the episode starts. There's a policeman yes. yeah. in some fog outside yeah. a scrap merchant. Yeah. And we get a solid you know, minute of that. Yeah. That policeman can walk. He does some <laughs> serious walking. You know, we, yeah. we laughed about when there was the weakest link in the last episode yeah. and how that seemed to go on forever because they yeah. played a full round. Yeah. Just a policeman walking yeah. and walking yeah. and walking. Yeah. And then, then just when you think something exciting is going to happen, it just immediately jumps <laughs> to another scene. Yeah. Um, there is a bit, a bit of fun joke that sometimes gets chucked around in the fan community where people because people will often talk about how oh the show is ruined oh they've they've broken Doctor Who like I mean you're getting a lot of that at the moment look at, with look at the how it series. starts um, well that's the thing that the joke is basically oh yeah Doctor Who was brilliant when it was just a charming story about a policeman going for a walk <laughs> in the fog yeah. and it was downhill from there yeah. <laughs> so it, it jumps to Cole Hill School yes okay now it introduces two characters, mm-hmm. and for the most part in my notes, they're described as history lady and science man. <laughs> and it's ages until their names are mentioned and introduced. I'm trying to think. Do they mention them earlier? Maybe not. Yeah. No. But it's, um, yeah, um, Barbara I've got and it. Hold on, because yeah. I've probably got it in my notes where they're first, even when they meet the Doctor, I've just referred to them as teachers. Oh, man, um, I'm sure they mentioned their names earlier. In fact, they right, each other? right at the end of the episode, I've got man. <laughs> oh, my so God. So, I'm not certain. You obviously, you obviously pick, didn't pick them. I'm sure they yeah. mentioned their names earlier than that. I'm but, not, I'm but not well, sure. anyway, so so there, you, you're meeting so Barbara. Barbara so, and, and, and Ian. Yeah, Barbara. They're so, about uh, as interesting yeah. as they sound. Barbara <laughs> and Ian. <laughs> Oh, and come on. Barbara's had a bad day, though, so... Surely you can identify with Ian as a fellow science teacher. He does the industry a bad name. <laughs> it was a different time. And they are true to form. Yeah. As a teacher, I can verify this. They're just slagging off students. Yeah. In particular, Susan Foreman. Yeah. 
Any relation to Foreman's scrap merchant from the Ooh. beginning of the episode? Who knows? Maybe. And she is a real problem. She knows more science than they do. Yeah. I mean, do you ever had a student like that? Talk about 30 of them in one room today. <laughs> so she's a genius. Yeah. And something that really ages this episode is the teachers are always just constantly trying to go to the, her house. Yeah, that wouldn't that, really happen now, would it? No, in a I think we'd have post utrine. Yeah, we'd we'd have a more structured system in place yeah. for, for for investigating concerns. It's probably a sackable offence. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, it's, it, it's certainly not. You know, the safeguarding procedure my school adopts. No, no, but this is this is London in 1963 when things were a little bit more loosey goosey in these yeah. regards. But, um, but they criticise Susan's grandfather, yeah. who doesn't want random strangers coming to their house. Which, you know, understandable. In, I, I don't even like people I know coming to my house, so I really sympathise with yeah, it. Yeah, so you're, you're, Pre- you're present the, company excluded. You're on this mysterious grandfather's side already. Yeah, yeah, but for some reason her homework's always really bad, poor Susan. Yeah. And one thing we do learn in amongst all this is her grandfather is a doctor. Ooh, Doctor Who! I wonder. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, but immediately, I was, I, I guess the overwhelming majority of me thought he's a doctor, he's the doctor. Yeah. But I was unaware that he had a family. Yeah, so this so, is new information for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Susan. His granddaughter, presumably. Mm. Susan who? I mean, <laughs> Susan Foreman is the name she goes by. That must be. <laughs> I mean, she's a bit young for that. Yeah, it must be her maternal. I mean, we, we say that. I'm pretty sure Caroline Ford was like in her at least her early twenties mm. uh, when this was being filmed. But that back then, it was pretty routine for like teenagers to be played by yeah. fully grown adults. So they they decide they're going to go to the, her house anyway, which goes against every safeguarding rule and regulation. So yeah, their school needs to be a bit more stringent with those protocols, right? So they go to the house, and it's the scrapyard from earlier. Right. Okay. So they sort of scope it out for a little bit. Yeah. It's just really weird. If I did that as in my position, no. Yeah, like, it would be sacrifice. I know times yeah. have changed, but yeah. no. It, 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 it's a bit jarring for a modern audience to think that teachers would do that. Um, yeah. But you've got to understand it from the context in which it was made. It wouldn't have been... Uh, an insane proposition at all because there weren't wasn't really the same kind of social services or anything like Mm. if a teacher didn't follow up on it potentially nobody would have and uh and teachers were back then they were respected figures of authority yes it's hard to believe paragons of virtue (laughs) that's how i like to describe us (laughs) um so yeah so they start poking around in uh in the junkyard and we see a girl listening to music Oh, who, who is yeah. Susan? Yes, we yes, find sorry. out. Did they, I'm sure they had headphones in 1963, right? I think maybe. Yeah, because I'm sorry, Susan. That is obnoxious. Just sort of standing around <laughs> with a with a like. I think it's a little transistor radio she's yeah. got that she's listening uh, to some sort of twangy guitar instrumental. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not easy listening, is it? <laughs> and Barbara. Wants to lend her a big history book, but she's worried Susan will finish it by tomorrow. Yeah. Because she seems to just know everything. She refuses a lift home, correctly. Just say no. Yeah. Stranger danger. Yeah. Because she likes to walk. Uh Uh-huh. And at this point, I've just put, 
Susan's really shifty. I didn't like Susan as a character. Yeah, there, there is something off-putting about her, isn't there? One yeah. could always say alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this is the point where the teachers do scope out her house. Yeah. And Susan doesn't know how many shillings are in a pound. That's one of the reasons they think she's shifty. So, yeah. David, how many shillings are in a pound? Um, uh, I'm just going to Google this as you peruse the answer. Thrapenty seven? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let, I, I, a genuine guess, let's say... 11. Sorry, there's 20. Ah, so close. And in fact, she thinks that they were in the decimal system rather yeah. than imperial. Now, I've always wanted to... I've never gotten around to researching this. Like, I wonder if that was something that was in the papers at the time. That, like, when did we go into the decimal system in this country? Mm. I wonder if it was just a few years later and, like, politicians were already discussing it. Uh, and that is why it was a plausible bit of future gazing on the part of the writers back in 1963. 1965. Oh, there you go. So just two years later. Two years before. Yeah. yeah. Quite a premonition there. Yeah. I, I have a feeling it must have been something that was being discussed in the media then. And, and so when they were writing the episode, they were like, well, what's a plausible thing that would be in Britain's future that won't like... And hats off to them because, that, that, as a result, it doesn't really date the episode. You're like, well, no. yeah, of course, in the yeah. future, we, we are yeah. in the decimal system. So, That's yeah. it, I, I suppose. Good job, Anti Coburn. It, the, uh, it dates the episode. setting of the episode rather than the episode itself. Yeah, through absolutely. modern eyes. Absolutely, yeah. So, Susan discusses time and space. And as we know, this is neither the time nor the space. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she, she claims that space is the fifth dimension. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's is it not covered by the first three? Hold on, because you have length, yeah. breadth, and depth. Which collectively make up space. <laughs> yeah. And the fourth dimension is time. time. Yeah. Fifth dimension is love. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a different show if she'd said that, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a weird one that, like, I get, I get what they're going for with it, but it, that is some yeah. wobbly science at best, yeah. isn't it? Considering she's a genius that knows more yeah. than the science teachers. Yeah, I mean, I obviously think, this is pre-national curriculum, yeah. so. but still, I feel like early on, Doctor Who is getting in there, be like, look, if you're if you're after hard sci-fi here, you've come <laughs> to the, the wrong, wrong place. place. Yeah. <laughs> so Susan enters the scrapyard, and the teacher's going after her. Yeah. They have a rummage around. Yep. And find the TARDIS. Yes. And it's at this point they say, it's alive. Yeah, that's interesting. So that it? goes right, right back to the season finale yeah. of season one. Now, you see, I think I, when, I, when we were having that discussion, I think I said that I my first conscious uh, memory of uh, references to the TARDIS being alive was The Edge of Destruction, which is the third story in the right. first series. But actually, no. Very we basically go back to episode one, aren't we? That's exciting. And an old man emerges. Yes. Susan's grandfather. Played by William Hartnell. I'm going to come right out and say it. Yeah. I did not like this doctor. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Specifically, I really didn't like him in this episode. Yeah. He's a tough old bird, isn't he? He's just a real crass... I mean, the thing is, he is crotchety. Yeah. But also incredibly smug. And and he does end the episode with just straight up abducting. So to, uh, to go back to to, to an example we've used in the past. Yeah. If I said, Oh David, do you want to come to the pub 
by yeah. the way, I'm bringing a friend from work. Yeah. And it was this incarnation of the doctor. Yeah. How long before you leave? <laughs> <laughs> I think I maybe hack about 15 minutes at most. Yeah. He's just really <laughs> coarse and argumentative. And yeah. I mean, I, I can sort of understand it from a plot point. Yeah. But if you think back to the very first episode we watched, Rose, I said I didn't enjoy the Doctor yeah. in that setting because I thought he was being a bit of a dick. Yeah. Well, he's got nothing on this guy. Yeah, you you compare the two and it's like, oh, yeah, uh, the Ninth Doctor has considerably mellowed out yeah. over the course of his previous incarnations. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how you feel about him when we touch on the portrayal about a season later with the uh, later episodes we'll be discussing. But, yeah, no, he, he's not a likeable character no. in this first episode. No. I don't think he's meant to be. If this was... The first episode we watched rather than Rose. Yeah. We, we wouldn't have a podcast. Yeah. We well, see, this was my fear. This is why I started yeah. us with uh, uh, he, the reboot. He, he, he <laughs> doesn't have that sort of rudeness married with charm that no, Eccleston has. Whenever yeah. Eccleston was rude, there was a wry smile and a bit of charm behind it. Yes. This yeah. is just a cantankerous old bastard. <laughs> yes. That does not deserve <laughs> your time. Yes. And uh, certainly in this episode as well, there's absolutely nothing heroic yeah. at any stage. Yeah. And at best, he is neutral. At worst, he is basically the antagonist of the episode. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but yes. I, I did read up when I watched the later episodes we're going to discuss. Yeah. Because obviously Susan is no longer part of the show. Yes, yeah. And I, I wondered whether I should have maybe mentioned something about that before queuing you up with those ones, but, but I didn't bother. Obviously <laughs> she's quite a key and I haven't seen any of the other episodes that she's in, but I assume You astonish me. <laughs> I, I assume she's probably the main character rather than the doctor, the way the pilot sets it mm. up. You'd think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. If we'd watched this yeah. and you said He's going to be the main character this <laughs> time. Not a chance. Yeah, I think one well, thing he wasn't though the sh the show is named after him. Yeah, he really wasn't ever intended to be the main character. Really, the main character in in those early seasons are it's Ian and Barbara. Mm. They are our eyes and ears, but that, that they are our human touchstone. That that marries with Rose yes. because really her story is her own rather than the Doctor's. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Doctor is almost a secondary character in mm. Rose's progression because yeah. although we've reached a point where we've seen the Doctor reanimate himself, yeah. he, he, as a character, he doesn't really grow and develop throughout that first series, whereas Rose does massively. Absolutely, yes. Really, the, that is that is something that is more or less constant throughout Doctor Who. I think they've gotten better at portraying the Doctor as a more heroic figure, as someone worth tagging along with. Yeah. But in essence, when new companions come on board, they are heroes. They are the ones that we are following. Uh, a lot, you know, we are following the Doctor with them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, so for this this early stage... It really is Ian and Barbara that, that are our, our guides through into this world. So we, we, which is why when we are introduced to the Doctor, we are as off-put as they are. Yeah. You know? Because he sort of dismisses them immediately. Oh, yes, yeah. He won't... Foolish mortals, basically. He won't show them in the TARDIS yeah. and tells them to leave. Yeah. In fact, I think I'm, I'm just looking at my notes. 
I speci- my specific sentence for the, this introduction scene of, of the Doctor, I've written, the Doctor is a stubborn, cagey bastard. That about covers all bases. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll nicely lead into my next bit of notes yeah. that just says, they enter the TARDIS, it looks shit. You wash your mouth out! It just looks like a Blue Peter set. <laughs> I love this TARDIS set. I genuinely love. Should I tell you one of the things I love about it? In one word, furniture. There's a hat stand. There's an old chair. Yeah, there's a Shay Long, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And I feel that's something that's really missing in a lot of modern TARDIS sets. It's like, where does anybody sit? <laughs> You know, you don't need to sit. Where do you hang your coat when you get inside the TARDIS? Because presumably there's some heating in the TARDIS. It's not going to be as cold inside as it is outside. So yeah, now I I love this. And oh, one of the things I, I really always didn't. I always keep my fingers crossed for every time they do it, reveal a new TARDIS set. It's like, oh, will there be some furniture? Will there be? Will there be a chaise long? <laughs> as you say, will there be a nice old armchair? So the the doctor tells them he knew this was going to happen if they stayed in one place too long. Yeah. Is that in reference to a place on Earth or Earth as a place? I I would assume the latter. I mean they 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 are never specific about it, but they do at some point in this episode say that both Susan and he are from another time and mm. I think the phrase is another world. Mm. So But yeah, so they basically the implication is that they have been rooted in nineteen sixty three London for a little while, you know, certainly long enough for Susan to enrol in school and to become yeah. a sort of accepted part of that school. So, yeah, that's and interesting, isn't one, it? One thing I, I liked was when Ian can't comprehend the dimensions of the TARDIS. Yes. The Doctor says, you know, well, we could fit a whole building in here. Look at a television screen. So it's good to know that yeah. this misunderstanding of television <laughs> again marries up with a misunderstanding of the internet in recent episodes you see i don't the, the doctor was talking very clearly in metaphor there he wasn't saying it was the same process he was just saying just as if you showed someone before the television was invented and you showed them images on a television screen they'd be like how on earth did you shrink down a, 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 why are there tiny people walking it's around like the old story of yeah. when the cinemas began and there was a locomotive yeah, exactly. and people ducked out yeah. the way thinking yeah. it was moving towards them. I mean, did that really happen? Who knows? That sounds impossible. It's, it's an old wives' tale, isn't yeah. it? But anyway, but basically he's talking metaphors. Just, like, just in the same way that until you invent that kind of technology you couldn't wrap your head around it. You've now just stumbled into the future. You're now looking at this dimensional engineering and you're asking me how on earth is this possible? But it is possible because you're standing in it. Mm. Uh, is basically the argument. One um, thing I did like about the old TARDIS rather than the new one, yeah, is it's controlled by switches, not hammers and bike pumps. Yeah, it's just got like it looks like a proper machine, doesn't it? Yeah. it's got all dials. It looks like and it knobs. should. Yeah, and whilst whilst we're discussing the TARDIS, it's yeah. Susan comes up with the name TARDIS. Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't really know if there is a consensus on how we get around the fact that then in later stories, other Time Lords definitely refer to their time machines as TARDISes. Right. Because Susan came up with that. Is she just bullshitting? (laughs) I don't know. But the out-of-universe answer is that they tossed in that line to give Susan something to say and to explain the name. But then without giving a second... Because at this point, the... Just to be clear, 
Gallifrey has not been conceived of. Right. Time Lords have not been conceived of. I don't think uh, the word Gallifrey is even uttered throughout the first Doctor's run. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really like we're, we're, we're early doors yet, and, and we basically set up already the first of many contradictions to come over the course of the show's history. Now, one question I have yeah. is, at this point in the episode, we find out the Doctor and Susan are from another world, another time. Yeah. Is he really her grandfather? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because the other question I would ask is, do Time Lords age in the same process that humans do? Mm. So, uh, like, you mean when a Time Lord... Um... When, if they stay in one body long enough, does that body, body start to age and yeah. decay and eventually... Because if they, if they just regenerate at the end of their life, yeah. that could potentially be from old age. Or yeah. do they age at all? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you, you know you know which doctors we've got coming up. So you know, for example, that he at some point he's going to regenerate from Matt Smith, yeah. quite a young man, into Peter Capaldi, yeah. a much older man. I don't really want to say too much about it because I think maybe you'll get some answers to that okay. further on in, as okay. we progress through the series. But yeah, it's an interesting question. As it, I mean, that's the thing. We know so little about Time Lord biology. Do do they reproduce in the same way that we do? Does granddaughter mean the same thing that we associate it with? Yeah. Who knows? So at this point, Ian demands that he's allowed to leave. Yeah. Because it's blown his tiny mind. Yeah. And he gets shocked when he touches the controls. Yeah. It's okay. not a brilliantly blocked moment, that is it. The, the way, the, the sort of movements and the, I, th- I feel like the timing's slightly off with the yeah. spark. And uh, it's always one of the things that, that stands out. We're like, oh, they didn't get, they couldn't really do second takes of stuff. Yes. They, they, they were allowed on average about four edits per episode. Really? Yes. Jeez. So we are talking, uh, which is why I say they shot it like a play. I really mean they shot it like a play. There was no redos. If you fluff a line, sorry, it's going in unless you completely bollocks it up because <laughs> they don't they don't have the time and wherewithal to actually just reshoot it. So <laughs> Susan decides she's going to stay. Yeah, and has a clumsy fight with the doctor. Yeah, it, again, it's like, it, it feels under-rehearsed, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's a bit pantomime yeah. and I, I didn't really like it. Yeah. And then we hear the familiar TARDIS sound. Yeah. And there's an awful hypnographic. Yeah, so basically, it's like, uh, I mean, it's basically going back to the title sequence, that sort of hypnotic swirling shapes that you see in the first title, and they just reuse that same effect. I'm pretty sure they never bother doing it again in any other episode. Presumably because it was too much at work within the editing suite to do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah. The effort that goes into the part. I think it's lo- I think it's lovely as part of the title sequence. But I, I agree, I don't think it works necessarily in the context of the episode. And then we're told the next episode is The Cave of Skulls. Which, thankfully, you didn't have to watch, because I'm no. nice like that. Now... At this point, I opted to go against your instructions. Yes, I was you, very specific. You specifically said, do not binge these episodes. They do not lend themselves to being binge-watched. I did. I was very clear about so, that. They, these were intended to be watched as weekly installments. Yeah, so 
I immediately started the next episode. Okay. To talk about the powerful so, enemy. Yeah. Part one of the rescue. Yes. Should we do the same again? What yeah. did we think of these episodes on three? One, two, three. Charming. Improvement. Oh, lovely. Okay. This was more in line with my expectations of yeah. Doctor Who. Well, if you'd replaced the cast with Christopher Eccleston, Billy Piper, yeah. it would not have been out of place, really. Yeah, I, I really like that. I'm, I'm glad. I feel like I've, I'm vindicated in my choices here because I, I really am denied about what to throw at you for, for an actual complete story. I wanted to keep it short, and that really mm. limited my choices. But I remember when I first watched this one, because I'll be honest, this is a, a particularly well-loved story within mm-hmm. the series. But I personally have a big fondness for it uh, for a few reasons. One, it introduces Vicky, who is one of my favourite early companions, um, who is basically an improvement on Susan in every way imaginable. Um, no offence to Caroline Ford, it wasn't her fault, it was the writing. Because basically, uh, for, for context, so we have just basically, in the, in the preceding story, The Dark Invasion of Earth, yeah, uh, we had said goodbye to Susan. Yeah, after I, I, I did a bit of research into that. Yeah. So she met David Campbell. Yes. Okay. Just a bloke. And yeah, the Doctor locks her out the TARDIS to yeah. give her uh, a. It's uh, It's an interesting scene. I, I mean, if we had, if I felt more comfortable throwing you a longer story, I might have gone for Dalek Invasion of Earth because I actually think that end scene is a very powerful and sad and weird moment because it is it's on one hand it's horrible because he he just locks her out and won't let her say goodbye properly and just like no off you go you've you've met this man you deserve a new life you don't need to be you know bumbling around with your old grandfather and so he just kind of abandons her in this post-apocalyptic future version of (laughs) earth which has been ravaged by the daleks and and he's basically she's going off to live on a farm with this ordinary mortal human being, and she is presumably also a Time Lord. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I'm just unsure. Yeah. Because in the modern incarnation we've just completed, yeah. Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. They make such a scene or such a point yeah. of him being the only one. Yes. But he's not. Uh, not at this point, no. No, because yeah. the Time War hasn't happened yet. Barbara must be somewhere. Because if the time... I know the time war takes place across time. Yeah. But it roughly happened mid to late 90s. Yeah. So if, he, there. if yeah. he's put her <laughs> post that... Yeah. He can... Inevitably he can re- I think there is some expanded universe stuff that, that re- revisits Susan as a character. Um, right. I've not encountered... I've not like sought any of it out yet. But right. I, it's, I'm afraid to say she never comes back on the show. It's um, the thing, the weird thing about Doctor Who is, though technically you could go back and revisit any character at any time, the show as a whole is constantly evolving. New actors coming mm-hmm. in, old actors cycling out, and so it has this kind of forward motion. And it's rare for them to go too far back in the show's history. Right. Uh, but it's pe- especially when it comes to particular characters. Um, with, unless they are like being recast for some reason, and it's a shame in some ways. But also, basically, this is the central dichotomy because Doctor Who is is a very on the one hand it has this cultish audience that that follows the whole history of it really really closely, but 
it is designed to be the kind of show that people can dip in and out of. Mm-hmm. And it constantly has to reinvent itself for new viewers and give them jumping on points and clean slates. Otherwise, it would get bogged down like comic books often do in just like reams and reams of of history. So that kind of stuff is generally confined to your novels and your tie-in yeah. audio adventures and things like that. Anyway, we're getting very sidetracked. Let's talk right. about the episodes themselves. Okay, because so I think they're cracking little episodes. The Powerful Enemy yeah. from the 2nd of January 1965. Yes, so this is near the start of season two. Um, and this one, um, the, the first episode written by Anthony Colburn, which was his sole contribution to Doctor Who. But this was written by David Whittaker, who actually uh, was the script editor for the first season and, and some of the second season and really had a more more of a handle on what they were doing with the show by this point. Right. And essentially, the script editor was almost akin to the showrunner in the modern series. So David Whittaker was almost like the RTD of this era. So and I think that shows through in the confidence in the writing. Right. Anyway. So it begins with... I've put some rocket looks like it's crashed on a beach because obviously... Yeah. It's, you know, practical effects. I'm it's a, bit... a little model. Yeah. That they, that, that, that something's yeah. knocked together and in it wasn't, an afternoon. It wasn't entirely clear what was going on. Yeah. Because yeah. I just thought, is it broken or is the camera a bit fuzzy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it is. It's a crash-landed uh, sort of rocket ship. Okay, and there's alien a woman that we later find out to be Vicky. Yeah. Says that the rescue ship has landed and a yes. man we later find out to be Bennett. Yeah, says it must be a fault because it's not due for three days. Yeah, because we're on planet Dido. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, and the the lady Vicky is sad. Yeah. Because she has to watch out for, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, Coquillian. Coquillian, yes. I still don't know how it's spelled. I made a good a fist of it as I possibly could, given that I was making notes in the dark okay. when I was watching those. Should, should we compare how we've spelt it? Well, we're not far off. You went yeah. for C, I went for K. Yes. I went K-O-Q-U-I-L-L-I-A-N. I think that's more or less what I've written. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we mentioned in a recent episode that um, you know I have a child now. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, uh, I was having to sneak in these episodes, watching them as quietly as possible <laughs> in the dark, with my little baby boy sat on my tummy, uh, so as not to disturb him. Um, towards the end of the second episode, just take a look at that. Wow, yeah. Those yeah, are, we're those gonna, are some neat notes. Yeah, we're going to struggle <laughs> with so, my notes. By, by comparison, <laughs> I watched them on the sofa, on my laptop, yeah. and whenever my partner said, what are you watching? Ashamedly, I just went, oh, it's a YouTube ad. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even admit to your own partner. No. <laughs> no. Okay, wow. so this unseen character, Coquillian, yeah. he knows nothing of the rest of the ship. Yeah. He's aware of this damaged part. Yeah. And Vicky contacts the rescue ship and is told that then they haven't landed. Yeah. And what she's actually sensed is the TARDIS. Yes, and so the TARDIS is landing, and I love this. Doctor's having a little nap. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and apparently he never sleeps through a landing. Yeah, not normally. Hear, does hear. Makes for uh, some riveting TV just watching an old man sleep. <laughs> but uh, to be fair, I think it's it's being played for comic effect here that he's this kind of doddery old. <laughs> so here, up until this point, mm-hmm. 
I still don't think Ian and Barbara have been named. Oh my because God. in my notes, it just says the teachers are still there. <laughs> yeah, so Ian and Barbara have been, have been tagging along for quite a while at this point. And again, yeah. we seem to be reading verbatim from our notes. Yeah. Because there's a key one I want to read yeah. here. They appear to have warmed to the Doctor, considering he is such a prick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, in some ways I wish you'd managed to see some of the preceding episodes... Uh, to get a sense of the, the slow developing of the the warmth of the Doctor that you do see. I mean, you definitely see more of it in this episode, um, but also it, it does slowly develop over the course of the first series. And as Ian and Barbara get used to the fact that he basically cannot pilot the TARDIS well enough to get them home, so they just accept the fact that they're just going to keep bouncing around through time and space for the foreseeable future. Uh, and they kind of start to enjoy that to an extent. So, when he wakes up from his nap, the Doctor calls for Susan, but she's not there. Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking, that, isn't it? it? Yeah, that was the point where I had to sort of research where yeah. Susan had gone. Yeah, and... like I say, I probably should have mentioned that you, there was going to be a change of cast between these episodes, but I was lazy. <laughs> Great. So, instead, he teaches Barbara how to open the door. Yeah. nice. They're in a big cave. Yeah. And the Doctor goes back to sleep whilst Barbara and Ian go for a look about. Yeah. And then in big letters, I've just written, what the hell is that? Ah. And I think that's the first time we maybe see Killian. I think it is, yes. Um, I, I really like this costume. I To me, it's sort of like somewhere between some kind of evil reptile and like a Brazilian carnival costume. I, I, I thought insect. <laughs> Yes, it's got large mandibles. Oh, it and does. Yeah, eyes yeah. And... It's uh, but yeah, I I think given that I mean, if it wasn't already evident, they were working with pretty small budgets mm. and pretty sharp turnaround times as well. Like often scripts were being handed in like at most a couple of weeks before shooting. So, um, given that kind of time frame, I think they were working pretty well to pull together costumes like that. So. When they emerge from the cave, yes, the monster Coquillian appears behind them. Yes, conveniently speaks English and knows of Earth. Mm. Which I mean, are you forgetting the uh, the TARDIS translation matrix? Oh, I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Had, had that been established at this point? Can't remember. In continuity. I think possibly because it. I mean, you have to explain it away fairly early on because they're, they're going to alien planets within the second yeah. episode. So. And then the he story. says he's going to take them to the city. Yes. And claims to be their friend. Mm. Shortly before yeah. pushing Barbara. I mean, he does head. he does claim to be their friend in a really, really sinister voice. And I have made uh, a note somewhere. Um, you're familiar with Monty Python's Holy Grail, right? Yes, yes, yes. I think Coquillian's voice is exactly the same as Tim the Enchanter. Like, yes. you know, what uh, is your favourite colour? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that is Coquillian's voice. And at this point, the Doctor acknowledges that they are on Dido. He's yes. been here before, and the people are nice. Yeah. Seconds after we've seen one of them push somebody off a cliff. Yeah, we, 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 um, we are left as the audience wondering, is the Doctor mistaken? Uh, or has something terrible happened? And turns out the monster has a magic spanner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See the way you smile though, is such childish glee. Yeah. 
not even any acknowledgement. That's a bit stupid. I mean, no, it is a bit stupid, and that's why it makes me smile with childish but glee. It, it never explains what it is. And at one point, the doctor just goes, oh, this Coquillian, was it holding a spanner? And well, like, it looks like a spanner. I think the reason is probably because they were like, they needed to create some kind of club thing. They probably were just like, oh, what can we do? Well, let's just grab this big spanner or just redress it slightly to make it look a bit alien. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now somebody at this point finds Barbara's body. Yeah. Whilst the doctor just does loads of exposition. Yeah. You know, we talked about how long it took the policeman to walk down the street. He does a lot of talking here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tough on old William Hartnell, isn't it? The amount of dialogue he has tough to memorise. Tough on the viewer. <laughs> sit through this. Yeah. So, the monster, Coquillian, goes to the, the crashed spaceship. And he's clearly in charge of them. They sort of follow his lead, his command. Yeah. And he tells the woman to go no further than 50 yards of the ship. Yep. And he knows that she was dragging something. Ooh. Okay. And she says it was a bag of stones. We know it was probably Barbara's body. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they owe their life to this Coquillian. He's their only protection from his people. Yeah. He's the one good one, apparently. Even though he doesn't seem that nice, does he? No. He's a bit like the Doctor. He's supposed to be this heroic character. He's <laughs> just a bit of a bellend. <laughs> Vicky had saved Barbara. Mm-hmm. They'd made contact when they'd landed with whoever the n- natives are of this planet. Yes. Now, it doesn't allude to the, whether that's Coquillian or not. No. There was a grand meeting and then an explosion. Yeah. Vicky wasn't there. She was unwell at the time. Yeah. Helpful. But Bennett, the man on her ship, dragged yeah. himself back. Yeah. He'd okay. lost the use of his legs as part of the explosion. Yeah. He's yeah. bedridden whenever yeah. we see him. Yeah. Bedridden and really grumpy as well, like really just sour. You know, I think every time they're in, he's just really. I mean, to be fair, he's in a bit of a pickle, but he just has a real. He's a real downer. Yeah. I've added up my notes at this point. Barbara's hair. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's it's, it's perfectly glorious, spherical. isn't it? Perfectly spherical. Yeah. About half a foot from her head. It like, looks like she's wearing a. Comedy crush. I feel like she must use like a whole can of mousse every day to get to get it sculpted into that shape. And it's so round. Yeah, love a bit of. Vicky tells Barbara, yeah, that Ian and the Doctor are dead. Yes, although we as the viewer know they're not. Mm -hmm. And Vicky gets mad that Barbara feels sorry for her, Mm. which is a bit weird because you know she's in a spaceship crashed on a desolate planet. I think. I think. It's maybe not clear, again, with the whole British TV convention of the 1960s. Vicky, obviously, you know, looks to be about 25. She's meant to be, like, 17. Yeah. So I think it's maybe just sort of, like, young teenager sort of pride there, really. Right. She, she doesn't want to feel patronised by this older lady, I think, maybe. And Vicky then introduces Barbara to Bennett. Yeah. From here, we cut to my favourite part of the episode. Uh-huh. So the Doctor and Ian... Are traversing a deep cavern. And we go full Dungeons and Dragons here, don't we? Well, it's... I want to focus on the word deep there. Okay. Because yeah. they're like, whoa, don't fall from the edge. Yeah. At most, it's 20 foot. I at, mean, yeah. At most. <laughs> because at first, you get the nice close-up shot of yeah. them on the ledge. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, there's a bit of peril here. Yeah. And then you see the full <laughs> shot, the depth of the chasm. Yeah, yeah. And 
with a small step ladder, yeah. they could just get back <laughs> up. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a feeling a, a better director might have chosen not to show that. Because <laughs> yeah. there's even a bit where they say the hand grips are perilous. Yes. And, you know, make sure you've got your yeah. balance. On this really yeah. wide foot ledge, yeah. where you don't it's even not... have to go near the edge yeah. if you don't want. And to. they're doing lots of like, oh, like pantomime level scuffling about, and <laughs> but it, it's easily two, yeah. three foot. Something you I... have to make yeah. a conscious decision to fall off. Is yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay, so something that I think holds very true for especially the black and white era of Doctor Who. They don't do action terribly well. Yes. Um, it, Doctor Who is many things. It is not a great action show. I mean, I think that's also true of the modern series a lot. I think when it tries to go big with the action mm. is often when it's most likely to fail. Well, because it, that's it, when the budgetary limitations really come it, into play. I think back to the season finale. Yeah. I think it's Bad Wolf rather yeah. than Parting of the Ways. Yes. Where Jack and the Doctor managed to take on 20 people just by waving guns at them and threatening to shoot them (laughs) rather than actually doing anything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, So the next danger they face is the world's most easily avoidable spikes. Yep. They're they're about four (laughs) foot apart to a a maximum height of approximately (laughs) three foot. Yeah, we're told that they are razor sharp, but they look more like curtain rails. Yeah. (laughs) And Ian is shouting, oh no, they're going to push me off. As he stood between two rows of them moving past him. He is in absolutely zero danger. Yep. But again, you've you've got to go with it. You've just got to suspend your disbelief there. And, and then we reach the real terror. Yeah, this is... This is the cherry on top for me in yeah. this episode. The monster, uh, which is simply a man with his legs in a sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just a man in a sleeping bag crawling towards Oh, him. come on. With, his, with that lovely face, though. Do you not think Sandy has an absolutely adorable face? No. Like a little jolly dragon. It just looks... Like, he looks like Greedo from Star Wars in a sleeping bag. <laughs> I love Sandy, the, the cave monster. I just... I think he is it, a little cutie pie. You know, that's like me saying, I'm going to put your life in peril. Yeah. Sit in this comfy chair and drink <laughs> this cup of tea. <laughs> and if you want, there's biscuits. There uh. is no danger <laughs> at all. Yeah, um, okay. You are a well-versed man in his early 30s with decades worth of popular culture, big budget films, etc. under your belts, right? Put yourself in the mind of uh, an awestruck six-year-old sitting cross-legged, tucking into a fish finger sandwich... Sat inches away from the TV. I, I would be more scared of the yeah. fish finger sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Right, now, it's at this point <laughs> we move into the second episode, The Rescue. Yes. From the 9th of January, 1965. Yeah, this the second episode entitled Desperate Measures. Mm. We, we've mocked the peril that the Doctor was in. Yeah. But what we should have always remembered yeah. is Doctor Who cliffhangers 
don't matter. Yes. So rather than be pushed off this ledge by uh-huh. the spikes to the monster, yeah, they they just walk out. They just <laughs> yeah. walk past all the danger. Don't they like? Isn't there some like sort of the doctor does some kind of vague faffing with the ring that triggered the spikes and, and that and they just retract. Yeah. yeah, but it's not really clear what he's done. There's just some like vague flapping with some wires. So we then yeah. cut back to Bennett. Yeah. Who again tells Barbara that Ian and the Doctor are dead. Yeah. And She's very Barbara, clear about that. She seems to have developed a few traits similar to Rose. She's quite courageous. Yeah. Says so she's going to surprise Kakillian, but Bennett says no. Yeah. Okay. He's he's he seems more scared of Kakillian than anybody else at this point. Yes. He's just like, oh yeah. no, we can't cross Kakillian. So the Doctor and Ian. Yeah. Once they've reversed the spikes and gone for a pleasant job. Yeah. They find a door. Yes. So we're sort of jumping between Mysterious things. door, yeah. Vicky has gone to collect some water. Yes. The man in the sleeping bag approaches. Mm-hmm. And good old Barbara shoots it dead. <laughs> yeah. This is tough, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because it was difficult for me because I was immediately charmed by that monster. I just think yeah. he's just an adorable little little Muppet and I just want to pet him. But technically, at that point, we are supposed to think it's some terrifying monster. And we're supposed to be very much on Barbara's side in the shooting of it. Of course, then it transpires moments later that Vicky had been slowly domesticating it. And it was basically her only real friend in this desolate scenario. Which is brutal. (laughs) But when it's shot, the Doctor and Ian can hear the scream. Yeah. And they reach the ship. Yeah. And Kakillian appears from the door, which they've gone through. Mm. So the Doctor speaks to an upset Vicky for what seems forever. Yeah. They yeah. just talk and yeah. talk and talk. Yeah. Because for each episode, I, yeah. I, I, I make notes as I watch it. Yeah. This is the fewest notes I've ever <laughs> made. And I appreciate it's only 25 minutes. Yeah. But this episode is basically two really long conversations <laughs> with a little bit of plot in between them. Yes, yeah. It does thin out a little, doesn't it? Yeah. So I haven't yeah. even put any details. I've just put, they talk forever. Yeah. I, I mean, I do find it a bit, like, it's difficult because on the one hand, you're seeing the Doctor being the more, the the, the proper twinkly grandfather figure yeah. rather than just the crotchety old man. Like, he's he's being reassuring and kind and, and all that. But also, he is quite, blunt in saying like oh you can't judge Barbara for for, for murdering your pets <laughs> and I'm just like I mean steady on doc yeah it's 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 a pretty rum go for old for old Vicky I'd say but the the good news <laughs> for Vicky is after the doctor's spoken to her forever yeah he goes to speak to Bennett yeah so Ian and Barbara just take over and then they have a conversation that yeah. goes on forever yeah and when the doctor's broken in to see Bennett he finds tape recordings and a trapdoor. Ooh, mysterious. Had you pieced together the episode's mm, mystery by that point? No, but as soon as it became evident, I sort of realised all the signposts yeah. that were leading us to... I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes, especially when things get a bit slow, which they do with, with yeah. classic Doctor Who, I sometimes zone out a little bit. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I was genuinely blindsided by the conclusion to this episode when uh, the first time I watched it. Because I like even though I'd be like, Oh yeah, he's found 
type recording trapdoor that's a bit interesting isn't it oh i wonder mm. i wonder if he's in league with kakillian or something like so, that but but I, it never for a second <laughs> crossed my mind um anyway we'll, we will get to the, it the trapdoor <laughs> leads to the door that yes. everyone seems to have gone yes. through at some point the mysterious other. door yes and they find a chest full of clothes yeah kakillian appears yeah uh-huh. and the doctor calls kakillian mr bennett so the doctor has oh, He's certainly was one step ahead of me. In the ultimate Scooby-Doo finale. Yes, yes. it, yeah. it is very scooby All it was missing it? was Bennett saying I would have got away. <laughs> yeah. So we find out that Bennett actually killed the crew. Yeah. Was arrested. He, well, he killed one crew, crew member. member sorry. Who was Vicky's father. Yes. And then the ship crashed. Yep. Yeah. And he killed the others. Yes, because he was like, this is my perfect opportunity to basically get rid of all witnesses because his crime had not yet been reported to Earth. So as far as Earth law was concerned, he was an innocent man. So all he then needed to do was get back. So he Uh, blamed the inhabitants of Dido. Yes. Here. And he had set up the explosion at the meeting, yeah. which killed the entire Dido race, Yes, yeah. but only partially damaged his spaceship. Yeah. yeah. So, how big was this explosion? Mm. Pretty big. But also, I get the feeling Dido's probably a pretty small planet. But if, if the explosion was <laughs> if big you can, enough If to... you can wipe out almost the entire population of a planet in one explosion. And it, it didn't kill the sleeping bag monster. No. And the water was still safe to drink. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it was like a nuclear explosion or something. I think it was just like everyone who was in that one building. Right. So but, he uh, got everybody into one room and blew them Yeah, like I say, it seems like Dino's a pretty small planet. Right. <laughs> so the Doctor tries to use the magic spanner. Yeah. At this point, did the Doctor have a sonic screwdriver? No. Was that introduced? That isn't introduced until very late in the second Doctor's era. Right. Okay. So... Yeah. So, and when it is, it literally is just a screwdriver that you don't have to touch on some screws. That's right. what it does. Right. <laughs> and it's it's basically over the years it has magically developed more and more features when until, it needs them, and until it has basically become a magic wand. Right. So yeah. So, some of the inhabitants of Dido appear. Yes. At this point, it turns out they weren't all killed. No. There's just two men in jumpsuits. Yeah. Up. Yeah, sparkly, sparkly jumpsuits. Yeah, and they they say nothing. They're kind of creepy, I think. That makes me, you know, in the first episode, the Doctor's rhapsodical about, um, you know, oh, they're lovely, friendly people on Dino. Oh, they're so lovely. And they're just like these grim-faced, sparkling (laughs) bodyguards, effectively. And they scare Bennett till he falls into the pit. Yeah. Now, at no point does anyone check he's, <laughs> he's actually, actually dead. dead. Yeah. Because the height of that pit could have turned his ankle. Yeah. But I'm not expecting fatal. I mean, we've already established in the last episode that in, in Doctor Who, you know, in this universe, that is a deadly fall. Yeah. So, you know, no need to check. Although Ian and Barbara claim they were heading towards the TARDIS, yeah. they randomly appear with the Doctor. I know the TARDIS is in the yeah. cave, but yeah. you needed to go through, through the, the cave to yeah. get to the TARDIS. But oh, well, they, they just, just bump into each other. Yeah. And for seemingly no reason whatsoever, the Doctor invites Vicky to come along. Well, he's sympathetic, isn't he? 
you know, she was going to get rescued in three days. But but they were, um, do you not remember how he was like, oh, the, the people of Dido are not going to want, they've had enough of Earth people, they're not going to want that rescue ship coming. And the the, the, the final shots of them, yeah, like, that makes sense dismantling now. the radio. At the end, yeah. like, they just smashed the ship to bits. Yeah. But also, I will say, that is, if they want to prevent the rescue ship from coming, don't just cease all communications because yeah. they will still, if they'll, anything, they'll, they'll come faster. Yeah. <laughs> like what you actually need to do is send out a message saying, no, don't bother. We're sorted. Thanks, mate. Yeah. But anyway. A classic Han Solo. Yeah. You know, everything's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Was the very, very end of yes. the episode. So once the TARDIS has moved yeah. from Dido. Yes. It lands on a cliff. Yes. And begins to rock uh-huh. towards the edge. Yeah. Now, although I was aware the inside of the TARDIS is inside the TARDIS, yeah. I, because of the manipulation of space, yeah. I didn't know that the exterior still corresponds. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it does. Yeah, that's something that I think is fairly consistent. Like, if the TARDIS gets buffeted in flight or something, you will see them kind of Spin wobbling around, around, like you know, like classic Star Trek when they get hit by a missile or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah. I think that's something that's been pretty consistent yeah. across the series. But and no. of course, so that's where we, we end on. We end on another cliffhanger, as yeah. was common practice back in the day. But so you'll have to watch the, all know. four parts of the Romans to find out what happens next. Some They'll just walk off. It'll be fine. <laughs> they, they mean nothing. The cliffhangers can mean I, nothing. Can I spoil the, the resolution of that cliffhanger oh, for please, you? please, so I never have to watch um, so if memory serves, it has been like a year since I saw it, but I'm pretty sure at the start of the Romans, they basically ignore the fact that the, the TARDIS had toppled off the cliff and it basically jumps to about a month later and they've just been living it up in a Roman villa Great. for like a month. That, that's so <laughs> consistent. Uh, I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> I don't need to say anymore. So anyway, so... This was your first foray into classic Doctor Who. How did you find the experience overall? The second and third episode so much better than the first. I'm so glad that... Never before has the phrase, first the worst, (laughs) been more appropriate. Yeah, so so that that's left you feeling like maybe you could stomach a bit more. Yeah, and of course, I, as we as we cycle through the doctors, which we're planning on doing for uh, for those who, who are interested, basically after every series of the modern era, we're going to be dipping back into a, uh, the next doctor along. So ne- uh, after the series two, we'll be doing a Patrick Troughton story, then on to John Pertwee after series three, and so on. So as we go through the classic doctors, we're going to be getting more and more modern. I mean, um, hopefully that means better. I mean, it'll be in colour. <laughs> yeah. After a while, I, I couldn't believe when I checked this out that this was only like a couple of years before the Batman TV series, Adam West. Yeah. Because that it's so much better. I know it's an American production. You you're talking about very different productions, yeah. styles, and systems, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that in terms of just production values, the Anne West Batman series is, is uh, leagues ahead of this. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm by no stretch am yeah. I saying that that Batman series yeah. is perfect because no. it's really not. But you know what? I would argue, I mean, maybe I think I'm perhaps more of a fan of classic TV in general mm. and I'm perhaps more forgiving of 
you know, stuff being of its era. Yeah. Because um, I've, I've always watched a lot of classic stuff before my yeah. time. No, I, I've always um, enjoyed Adam West Batman. But... He's my favourite Batman. But Without a doubt. Really? My favourite Batman is Adam West Batman. Mine's probably George Clooney. <laughs> Seriously? No. <laughs> he had no. me going for a second there. No, it's Val Kilmer. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we'll leave it there, shall we? (laughs) So thanks very much for listening. Um, Tune in next time when we will be getting stuck into a bit of David Tennant with the Christmas Invasion. Yeah. So until then, thanks very much for listening. Cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. Feel free to get in contact with us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Alternatively, over Twitter, we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme. Some of her music in here. I'm pleased. I don't want to get hit for copyright.